This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hello everyone, Dave here. Our new book, Highs, Lows and Decanios, is now on general sale, just in time for Christmas. Myself, ex and West Ham Way writer Sid Lambert relived the madness of being a West Ham fan in the 90s. It was a decade where football changed forever, thanks to the Premier League. But what didn't change was the agony and ecstasy of life at Upton Park. In Highs, Lows and Decanios, we cover everything. The managerial madness of Macari, Bonds and Redknapp. And we also remember the colourful cast of characters who played in Claret and Blue, like Julian D. Marco Bugas, Florin Radichoyu, and of course, the one and only Paolo Di Canio. It's all there in our new book. So if you want some 90s nostalgia this Christmas, go to thewestamway.com forward slash shop and get your copy of Highs, Lows and Di Canio's today. You're listening to the West Amway podcast with Dave and X. Oi, oi! Hello and welcome to the West Hamway Podcast with myself, Dave Walker, an XWHU employee. With the World Cup now underway, we give you our best England starting eleven using players from 1990 onwards. That comes before news from X and questions from patrons of the West Hamway. X, the World Cup is officially here. What did you make of day one, Qatar against Ecuador? <laughs> um, bit laugh, bit laughable, really, to be honest with you. Um, I mean, the fact that the BBC, there's just so many weird things. The fact that the BBC chose not to show the opening ceremony, like when when, when has that ever happened before? And especially as I've only seen pictures on like a few news websites and stuff, but it looks like it was quite spectacular. And I just can't You're believe joking. It. Yeah. Well, there, there was actually, actually was a ceremony. Yeah, there was a ceremony. It just what? The BBC just chose not to show it. So like, I was looking at the pictures and it looks quite um, spectacular and stuff. And so I looked through all the, you know, the normal channels that you'd look for to see if it was on. But I couldn't find it anywhere. So why no one chose to show that? 
It was, it was, it was obviously the BBC had the rights. They chose not to <laughs> so talk. strange. Exactly. They'd, they'd rather talk about the the, the country and its its um, dodgy human rights records and stuff. Rather yes, than actually, whilst being paid an absolute fortune to be there and enjoy the tournament. By the way, well, that was a, that was a funny thing. What was it? It was the um, Alex Scott, wasn't it? She said something like she was dilemmaing whether she was going to go to this tournament or not because of the you know because of it, what it is, the country and stuff. And then she said, but I, I battled with my conscience and I thought, no, I'm not going to be beaten. I'm going to go to this World Cup. And I thought, yeah, I wonder if the however. <laughs> She's being paid an influence on that as yeah, well. You know, yeah. She was being asked to do it for free. I doubt she would have made that no, that, that no. stance. But in it, but anyway, um, yes, yeah, so I thought that was a bit strange to start with. Then you know, look, I understand all the the stuff. There's you know, there's been another twist today with um, Harry Kane decided they're not going to wear the rainbow coloured um, armbands now because he's going to get a booking if he wears it. Um, captain's armband, and so I understand. It's right to tackle the wrongs of this country, but I think now let's let's do that. But let's just also concentrate on the football as well, because it seems to be a political thing more than a football thing at the moment. Um, and I think that was that was prevalent in the discussions before the game, and then and then um, and then the game itself. I mean, that, 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 I haven't seen the VAR decision again because I switched straight over and watched the New York Giants game. But from where I was in that, that looked very, very dodgy. The goalkeeper was absolutely terrible, full stop anyway. And um, yeah, just a bit of a strange opening game, really. <laughs> Mate, I, honestly, I cannot tell you, it's, it's been bizarre. It, we're only on day one, by the way. Well, day two now, as we record this. But it was bizarre. The, the reason I switched on at three o'clock, knowing full well kickoff was at four o'clock, is to watch the opening ceremony. Yeah. And up until you just said that, I'm like, I cannot believe Qatar didn't put on an opening ceremony. Because mm. to, to my mind, they didn't do one. And you're now telling me they did, but the BBC didn't show it. Yeah. And I just think the, 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 the hypocrisy and... I, I don't know, the hypocritical nature of the BBC is just astounding because I've never seen a more depressing build-up to a World Cup in my life. Yeah, and yeah. don't get me wrong, everything they spoke about was spot on. I agree. Mm. The, the country's an absolute shit show in terms of what it stands for and and um, the rules it puts in place, etc. So I want to go on record and say that. But you're either going to just get behind the tournament or you're not if you're BBC. You can moan about it and you can talk about the politics of it and you can not show the opening ceremony, you know. But in my mind, you either provide good coverage and get everyone excited and back the tournament regardless of the politics or you give it to ITV or Channel 4 or whoever else. Because at the end of the day, I found it quite depressing viewing. And now that I, I hear that they've taken the the, uh, the ceremony away, because again, just to reiterate, I agree 100% what they're saying about the political element of it. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm thinking, shall we just get on with the football now? I think the point's been made. It's been made for the last God knows how many years now in the run up to this. Well, exactly. It's not like Let's it's just something. enjoy the game. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. It's not like it's just suddenly been picked to Qatar. We've known about no. it since 2010. So yeah, you can have I know. All the, the political conversations way before the actual tournament started. Exactly, and, 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 and yeah, 
Yeah, you might want exactly. to mention it a bit, but not to have the whole build-up to the show. But they didn't even, I mean, I, I tuned in a bit late, but they didn't really even focus on the teams, the venues, the, you know, who's the favourites, the star players. You know, when, when you've watched World Cups in the past, you'd watch the, 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 the first programme and it'd all be about, oh, is, it, is it Messi's time or is it Ronaldo's time? Yeah. Neymar, is he going to do it for Brazil? You know, who's the, who's the stars? Lewandowski going to be the top scorer? you know things like that but there seems to be like no mention of it at all it was mate it was bollocks honestly the whole build-up to it was so shite and they're all sitting on their you know talking from their ivory towers about the politics of the game whilst getting paid a shitload of money to go there they didn't have to if they felt that strongly don't go don't be any part of it but they still went there they're getting paid they're going to be put up in a lovely hotel and they're going to use this tournament that's been put on by Qatar to smash the ratings for their channel. So what is it? Like you either get behind it or you don't. And so that annoyed me a little bit. Um, and I think we have to talk about the former hammer and someone that looked like the best player on the planet. And to be fair, I think if me and you played against Qatar, we'd probably look like the best players on the planet. <laughs> the wonder that he's in Valencia. I mean, first and foremost, I was blown away that he's still playing. What is he fucking 56 years of age now? How good was he? <laughs> I know. And the thing, but that was the thing with Valencia, wasn't it? I mean, from memory, he had he had bursts of spells where he was really good. Like he scored that great goal for us against Hull. He oh, what a goal that was, by the way. Yeah, scored a goal against Liverpool, I think, when we beat them at Upton Park. He scored quite a few decent goals for us, but then other times he was absolutely terrible. And obviously we shipped him out to Everton and, you know, we got rid of him. And yeah, I think he just showed exactly what we already knew in spells he could be very good but most of the time he's not and you know yeah mm. that second goal that <laughs> header was brilliant that second goal to yeah get that much power and accuracy um from from it, it was superb and you know fair fair play to him he's um he's obviously their talisman now for um uh for them and so i think he um i think he, he did well and, and hopefully um you know ecuador um, we'll go. We'll go on and have a decent tournament because I always like West Ham affiliated players to to do well because yeah, yeah. unless they're unless they're absolute you know left us in a cloud of controversy like an Altamich or something. I, but if it's an ex West Ham player, I want them to do well. So uh, already West Ham technically has scored two goals in this World Cup. Happy days. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Absolutely. And one thing that blew my mind as a side note, by the way is I get a text from you in the run-up to this game. And you said, have you heard the rumour about yeah. this game? I said, no. You said, apparently it's going to finish 1-0 to Qatar. I'm like, what are you talking about? And you said, there's been a shitload of money lumped on Qatar to win this game 1-0. And I'm yeah. thinking, no, surely not. But then I'm thinking, well, look at the very nature of the fact that Qatar are hosting this tournament, first and foremost. Look at the interview we did with Peter Butler and all the corruption that surrounds his everyday life, um, and especially on a match day. So corruption is real, and it does exist. And I'm thinking, blimey. So I couldn't shake that from my mind, right, when I'm watching this game. And then Ecuador take the lead, 1-0. And I'm thinking, right, okay, that's blown that theory to bollocks. Then it gets disallowed, right? And this is where my brain explodes, because they've looked at it on VAR, and... What they did after that goal was disallowed was they showed the replay, right? So this was the BBC's footage of the replay. 
And it was probably the most onside goal I've ever seen. Now, unless I'm missing something, right, unless there is a particular replay or angle that I haven't seen and the pundits missed live, then I hold my hands up. But it was the most onside goal I've ever seen. It should it should have been allowed for, to, to my eyes. And it was disallowed. So I'm thinking, Jesus Christ, this is actually rigged, this game. If they're disallowing goals like that, it <laughs> is actually going to go in Qatar's favour. And my brain couldn't live with it. And uh, and then they showed the VAR um, replay of the disallowed goal. But they just showed the two players, the offside player, with his knee just in front of the player he was next to. They didn't show any other players, which I thought was really weird. No other players in shot. But then as it happened, I think even if the game was fixed, Qatar was so painfully shit that it, the ref could have sent 10 of their players off Ecuador and, and they still wouldn't have won 1-1-0, would they? So I think, you know, the intentions were there. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> but they just that, Qatar weren't good enough to do their bit, I don't think. No, I mean, that keeper, I honestly don't think I've ever seen a keeper play so badly in a, in a World Cup game. And the thing is, no, I'm fine. I'm five foot seven in my forties, overweight, never played in go in my life. But I honestly think I could have but as decent as showing it. I honestly do. Like it was it was terrible. He was all over the place and you know, and to be fair, like teams like Qatar like in terms of their ability, it should not be in a World Cup. This is world football where yeah. you have the world's best players and when you think the likes of Italy uh, are sitting at home um, and then you've got the likes of Qatar that are in a World Cup. In. Yeah. This is why a host nation, I know you have to have the host nation there because it kind of is the whole benefit of being a host, I guess. But when you give it to countries like Qatar, this is the this is the downside of it. You, you give them a, a pass to the World Cup when they really shouldn't be there. I mean, they're, like like I said, there's there's teams in Europe of a much higher standard, you know, that you would love to have seen. They're like a World Cup without Italy. It's just bizarre, I find. Mm. And, um, you know, you haven't got, you haven't got um, some of the Scandinavian teams there. You, you haven't got some of the other, you know, decent European teams there. Um, you can have another African team. They're stronger than Qatar, um, you know, even New Zealand or or someone like that, but the fact that, that yeah, Qatar is in there um, just shows, just poor I mean, that terrible performance all round from them really, no quality, no player that made me think could even play League One let alone League, you know, Premier League um, over here, so yeah, it's a bit of a strange one that definitely. And yet, I think they're ranked 50th in the FIFA right. rankings, which actually Ain't that bad, is it? Really, when you think no. about it, well, there are 195 countries in the world to be ranked 50th. Ain't that yeah. bad? And I think they've lost something like one of their last 12 games. So on paper, they're not horrendous, but to watch, they are horrendous. It's, it's yeah. ridiculous, isn't it? And the, and the thing is, as well, with those ranking systems, yeah, I know. The time, you know, they know. only play play teams of a similar stature. So you, so like, yeah, you know, they're, true. Not, they're not playing. Um, Brazil, Argentina, Belgium, France, England, Spain, whoever, they're playing teams in that region that are worse than them. So their record is actually not that bad. If we, you know, if my, um, I don't know, Chelmsford 11 team played San Marino each week, we'd probably have a decent (laughs) chance. But, you know, if we played played against uh, England every week, we'd get battered. So it's it's a strange, it's a strange... um, system really but the next world cup's got even more teams in it so probably see yeah. even more of these teams and i i understand you have to give these nations a chance to grow like back in the day the likes of you know maybe the usa australia canada 
um, maybe even like sort of South Korea and Japan and stuff might not have been anywhere near the standard required and they've gradually grown as nations I understand that but when you get to sort of world world cup status world cup level in terms of a neutral point of view obviously from England's point of view you want those teams in but from a neutral's point of view if you're just watching the world cup I'd much rather that was Italy Ecuador for example than Qatar Ecuador yeah no you're spot on mate you're spot on um, and just an important point to know, anyone listening to this now uh, is probably wondering why we're not talking about the England game. And that is because we are recording this podcast before the England game and it will then be edited and published after. Okay, um, this week we thought that we would give you our best England eleven since 1990. And the relevance behind 1990 is because that was the first tournament we can both remember watching. Uh, I think that's fair to say. So X, what are the rules of the game? Because we haven't actually even discuss this outside of the concepts of what we're going to be doing here no so we're going to pick an 11 and we're going to sort of try and do it as our own 11 and then maybe do a combined 11 or just stick with the 11 for each of us maybe we should maybe we should do a combined 11 so we can have a bit of a debate over who should be and who shouldn't the only slight thing i was struggling with a little bit in my head when i was thinking about this this morning was are we doing it on best players yes like i thought the same yeah, or are we doing it on people that contributed to England's World Cup history? Because, for example, the one that I was really thinking about, we'll come to it when we do the left-back situation, but is the left-back situation when you when really 1990, um, you know, you had Stuart Pearce, you had Stuart Pearce pretty much all the way up to, you know, even Euro 96 as well. And then I know it's World Cup, but you could factor that in and then World Cup 98 obviously I think it was like Graham Lasseau wasn't it from memory um, and then Ashley Cole started to come in and actually technically you know, Ashley Cole was a better player than Stuart Pearce probably I would say overall you know and he, and he went on to win more than Stuart Pearce on the domestic level however when you think of England heroes and England folk legends you don't get much bigger than Stuart Pearce so the, so the decision has to be whether it's like how they contributed to England or who was the better player. I think we need to decide that. That's a really tough one to answer that. And I'm not sure I've got the answer. Are you leaning one way or the other in your gut? Not especially, but so let's, let's just do it then. And then let's just see what comes out and we can... We yeah, let's do it. Let's way. do it. Let's just see what happens naturally. Um, I mean, one one thing that we could do to eradicate the issue of the fullbacks because for me that's the biggest challenge is naming the fullbacks really because I don't think since 1990 we've been blessed with overwhelming talent in the fullback area personally yeah. I mean Ashley Cole was was different class so I'm contradicting myself a little bit there but I think you're on a little bit of a struggle from there what we could do is um tinker with the formation and go free at the back to, to get another one in midfield we could do that I did think that because the midfield was where I had the most amount of players I wanted to pick. So we could do that. I mean, obviously, that would uh, the ultimate standout right back choice is Gary Neville. I think I think that he's he's the only one. Yeah. Obviously, got Paul Parker in nineteen ninety, but he was decent. Obviously, played for Manchester United as well, um, but not in Neville's league. And then Neville played what ninety eight, two thousand and two, two thousand six, and then you got the likes of like what. Glenn Johnson, you got um, Trippier, you got Alexander Arnold Walker, mm. yeah. So, but for me, I think he would go Gary Neville. So, and then I think left back, it's between Stuart Pearce and Ashley Cole. 
<clears throat> so maybe we go three five two then three. I, I think so because I, I'm not being funny. Like Stuart Pearce, brilliant, loved him. Um, Graham Lasso, bang average in my opinion. Gary Neville, decent fullback, but I wouldn't have said he was absolutely world class. I mean, he obviously played for Man United and he played for England. So, you know, again, you look at it on paper, he, he should be. But I, I was never blown away by him. Um, so I, I think the fullbacks are a little bit underwhelming, personally. Whereas I think if okay. we went for a back three, I think we could pick three solid centre-halves with a keeper sitting behind them. And then we get a little bit more breathing space in the midfield. I, th- I okay, think we should do that. Okay, I agree then. So let's go 3-5-2. Um, and... Uh... Yeah, and we'll and we'll factor that. So obviously let's start with the keeper now from yeah. nineteen ninety. He had Peter Shilton in goal. Uh nine oh we'll, we'll include we'll include the Euros as well, kind of, if you need to. So then you obviously yeah. had C- Seaman in ninety six, Seaman in um ninety eight, Seaman in two thousand two, did you already gone by no it was him because it was the Rodinio goal. And then you got what David James had played, Robinson Robert Green was 2010. Um, Joe Hart, I think, was probably 2000, uh, one of them, I'm guessing. Um, and then you have Pickford. And I think for me, when you talk about all those names in terms of contributions to England and in terms of consistency and playing at the top level, I think you have to go David Seaman for that. Really, that's interesting. Um, I was just about to say I used to love Seaman, but that don't sound right, does it? Um, <laughs> uh, let's, let's say I used to love watching David play. Uh, great goalkeeper. <laughs> great goalkeeper. Um, phenomenal. A mainstay in the success of Arsenal over the years. And uh, apart from an arguable debate over whether he could have done better for that Ronaldinho free kick, I don't think he's ever really let England down. So he was right. a solid goalkeeper. But then Peter Shilton was also phenomenal, right? Yeah. And I found... But that World Cup, that World Cup, he wasn't... Like those penalty shootouts against Germany, it was terrible. Yeah, yeah, true, true. Um, but I found personally, I struggled with the keepers big time in terms of it was only between two and it was between Seaman and Shilton for me. I struggled so much that last night I texted Jimmy Walker and I said, <laughs> right, I said, Jim, we're doing this on a podcast tomorrow because we're struggling like fuck for content. <laughs> and, and I want to know from you um, who you would choose over David Seaman and Peter Shilton. And he texts back saying Shilts for me. Yeah, well, that's so that, he's a that Forest fan. Well, he's yeah, true. Yeah. That was his, and that was his idol growing up. True, but I think he was also his idol for ability as well. Because I think I think you're slightly downplaying Shilton's ability as a keeper. Oh, I mean, no, he, of was, course. he I mean, was a top, top goalkeeper. Oh, right? yeah, he's the, most, he's the most capped player for England. Yeah. So he has, to, he has to be decent. And obviously, we can scrape the barrel and say he played for West Ham as well. What was on our... Yeah. <laughs> so that's always a, that's a, that's always a bonus. Yeah. But, I, I'm just. I think that the notion was from 1990 onwards. Now, obviously, if you'd said England's greatest all-time goalkeeper, you'd go with Shilton definitely. But because you're going from 1990 onwards, and he mm. only played the one World Cup where Seaman played um, two World Cups and a Euros, I think. And in that Euro, 1996 was it Spain? But he saved two penalties in the shootout, didn't he? And I, I just think, I just think. And from what I've heard as well, so I've, I've met Shilton, we both have together, and, what I, and, what, and I've met Seaman as well. I think Seaman seems a bit more for team spirit and a bit more of a, 
you know, a member of the squad. Like everyone likes Seaman. He was like the big friendly bear, wasn't he? Type thing. So, so do you I, like Seaman? <laughs> I like it when it stays in football form. Yeah, um, <laughs> like um, I think, <laughs> I think, I think, um, I think I would go with Seaman. But I, but you know, it's up to you. Do, do you remember when we met Peter Shilton? And we met him at that charity event. And uh, we was chatting to him at the bar, weren't we? Not for long, yeah. granted, but we no. were chatting to him. And it might even have been your idea to see if we can get him on the podcast. And we yeah. said, like, you know, his, his time at West Ham was limited to say the least. But obviously, <laughs> yeah. he's a massive name. And I think, he, you know, he would have a story that I think some of our listeners would be interested in hearing. So he said, yeah, fuck it. Go on then. We'll, we'll have a chat with him. So we've gone up to him and he's at the bar. We're having small talk to start with. And then we said, uh, we said, Pete, you know, we, we run this podcast and it'd be great to have you on. And I'm sure he said something like, well, I'm not being funny, lads. I'm not, I'm not sure you could have fooled me. He did. Right? He did. <laughs> and, and we said, well, well, try us, Pete. Well, what are we talking? And I'm sure he came out with something like, like five grand or 10 grand for the hour. I think it was and two and a half. Oh, was it? Was it two and a yeah, half? Okay, yeah. so I'm overregging it a little bit. So two and a half grand for the hour, and I'm thinking, blimey, people want to interview you, not fuck you. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Two and a half grand for an hour, blimey! Exactly. You better have a fucking good story to tell, Pete. <laughs> yeah. But needless to say, he was right. We couldn't afford him, so the interview never happened. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can't believe he's still. I can't believe there's anyone that would would pay that. I mean, I don't mean to be horrible, but like, <laughs> unless it was, I don't think I. I honestly can't think of a person I would be, even if I had low. You may be obviously granted if I was a multi millionaire it's not that much money for, yeah, for, yeah. for a sort of podcast of our stature and, 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 and what money is involved in it and stuff I can't imagine there's many podcasts that can afford to pay two and a half grand for an hour with one player it's incredible isn't it absolutely yeah. incredible um, I don't know unless, unless you're the BBC I suppose but uh, yeah, maybe. yeah it wasn't meant to be unfortunately but um, no. do you know what I, I think you I think you raised a good point I think when you talk about from 1990 onwards I think you would say that David Seaman was a better performer. So because I am genuinely so split, um, let's go with um, David Seaman in goal. Okay, are you writing these down? I am writing these down, okay, yeah. Okay, good. Right, so um, and the first Seaman's... name on the bit of paper is David Seaman in the three five two formation. Okay, brilliant. Centre-halves. Yeah, now this, this was really... My brain found centre-halves quite hard because... Really? Yeah, because England have had some really good ones over the years. If you over the years, if you go to 1990, Des Walker was brilliant. Do you remember the touch? You'll never beat Des Walker. Yeah, and I and he had everything. For, like he would be able to play in the Premier League now. He had pace. He read the game well. He could head the ball. Um, he he was disciplined. And you know he moved to Sampdoria from Nottingham Forest, which you know Sampdoria aren't now a massive team but at the time in the 90s i think they might have just won the league or they won it a year before or something the sampdoria were a big team in italy and obviously in those days Serie A was bigger than the premier league and so that was a big move when an english player like obviously gaza went david platt went you know so that was a big move and he was brilliant des walker like i think yeah he was yeah then he got terry butcher who was like an absolute iconic defender. You know, that pictures of him with the split head and the blood all over him and you know, absolute leader, absolute mountain. Then he had Mark Wright, who was a decent centre-back as well. Not the one of Towie fame, but the one of Liverpool and Derby County, I think, those sorts of teams. He he was um, he was good. And then you go a bit more modern, you've got Tony Adams. <coughs> you, got, you know, Tony Adams, you've got um, Sol Campbell, you've got John Terry, You've got um, Rio Ferdinand, 
Um, you've got like you know, I just think there's top quality centre backs throughout our time, really, and so I found centre backs quite hard. Yeah, I can see what you're saying. I think um, I think I found this a little bit easier than you did. In all seriousness, okay. I mean, I think Des Walker's a great shout actually because domestically. He achieved a lot. Really, really good player. I remember the chant well, and there's a reason that chant was there. It's because he was very difficult to beat. And he did perform, to my memory, quite consistently for England. Whereas you look at someone like Tony Adams, phenomenal centre-half for Arsenal. Phenomenal, phenomenal captain, phenomenal leader. I, I, I struggle to say that I remember him being absolutely consistently outstanding for England. But 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 solid enough. I don't think he was as consistently as impressive as Des Walker was for England, for example. So yeah. I would kind of lean towards edging Des into that three. Mm. The other two potentially picked themselves for me. I would probably go with Rio and John Terry for the other two. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a fair shout. I think Sol Campbell's unlucky. Yeah, that? very unlucky. Yeah, because I think he he was a very you know he had everything again power, heading ability, strength, yeah. pace. Good player. Um, yeah, won the you know was part of that invincible team. Um, so Sol Campbell and obviously scored that goal against Argentina that never was that should have been in the '98 World Cup. So yeah. he's had like iconic moments as well. I think I think you have to play John Terry. You have to play John Terry in the centre as your absolute, you know, your your captain. Your as much as West Ham fans don't like him, but we could lay claim to him as well through the academy. Um, so yeah, um, he, he um, you know, he's a leader. You know, you, he's the sort of guy that would rally the troops. So I think you've got to go with Terry. And then I think I think I like the idea of what you just said. They're having Rio and Walker off him because both of them have pace. Both yeah. of them could read the game well. Both, and when you've got no fullbacks, as we have in this formation, they could get to the sides and get back quicker and counter, like uh, deal with a counter attack better than a, than a like a Terry Butcher, for example, or a Tony Adams. Um, so yeah, I think I think I agree with you on that. I think as I say, I mean, it's harsh on Sol Campbell. I think it's harsh on Tony Adams. But Gareth Southgate, dare I say, apart from obviously he's famous for the penalty miss, but he was actually a good centre back for England. Mm, um, mm. But um, you know, I think I think you go for you go for those defenders, don't you? Really, I think yeah, I think Walker, Ferdinand, and Terry, Terry in the centre, and Walker and Ferdinand either side of him. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. 
There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Good. Okay. Well, I'm comfortable with that. So um, that's the back four sorted so far. We've seen in Rio, Terry and Walker. And I think that's solid that. So now we talk about the midfield and there's five of them. So what are you saying? Well, for me, in midfield, and he only played one World Cup, but it, it so he obviously played Euro '96 as well. But it shows because we've got to remember England didn't qualify for 1994, so we've got to we jump yeah. past that one. Um, which, you know, imagine the meltdown of the modern day fan now if that had happened. Um, geez, mm-hmm. um, and we didn't qualify for one of the Euros as well, wasn't it? Like Croatia, uh, 2008 when Bilic knocked us out, something like that. But um, yeah, anyway, um, I think. For me, that my favourite ever non-West Ham player watching, and he played for Spurs as well, is Paul Gascoigne. So yeah. I, th- I think you have to have Gazza in the centre just because the 1990 World Cup was all about him. And before he got his injuries and his off-field issues and so on, he was an absolute amazing player. My amazing player. Um, so I, I can't look further than him. To start no, with, but I totally agree. Look- but I, I don't know if you agree with this, but I think we should have four across the middle and, and play Gazza as a number 10 behind the front two. Personally, I think you've got to give him free license as a number 10, yeah, in my opinion. You could do that, you could do that, but then you've got the same issue with some of the other players because some of the other contenders. Um, I mean, Brian Robson was kind of just about finished then. He played in the 1990 World Cup, but he went home injured in the first game, so I don't think we can include him. David mm. Platt, you know, David Platt wasn't technically the most gifted of players, but he scored goals for fun, David Platt. Yeah, and, you know, he's got some crucial goals in that 90, that one against Belgium in the 1990 World Cup. Then you've got the likes of Skulls, Gerrard, Lampard, um, you know, Nicky Butt was picked up. I wouldn't pick oh, him. Oh, yeah. But... He's scraping the barrel a little bit there. Let me let me <laughs> throw a name at you. Declan Rice. He hasn't played yeah. in the World Cup yet. We're not... Yeah, but we're, we're including other tournaments as well. Why didn't we say that we're going to do Euros as well? Okay, okay. Um, the reason I throw his name into the hat, right, is because obviously he's West Ham, obviously we're biased, and obviously Declan is phenomenal. But you could argue he's already achieved more than all these players we're talking about because he's yeah. got to a final. Yeah, and he was the best player in that final as well. Yeah, so actually, is it ludicrous to put Deck in the middle of that midfield? Yeah. <laughs> who, who, who in a in a midfield five? Who are you arguing is a better option? Who are two better options centrally than Declan Rice? Because yeah, I'd be tempted I, I, to put Stephen Gerrard next to him personally. By the way. Yeah, I, I really, I really get what you're saying. I really do. I just feel. A bit uncomfortable that, and this is the dilemma that many England manager had over the years that you don't have Gerard Lampard and Skulls in that midfield because at their peaks, no, I haven't. They were. <laughs> what, what, what's that? Sorry, I'll I say I haven't. Yeah, so far, my, I mean. my suggestion is Gaza, Declan, and uh, Gerard. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So I'm saying I find it uncomfortable that you, that we don't have those three I see. in this midfield. Yeah. Because when you think about it, at the top of their powers, Gerard was was probably the one player that could literally win a game on his own, as we showed it as it was shown in that two thousand and six cup final against us, sadly. Um and 
you know, when we played Germany away and we beat them 5 1 in that World Cup qualifier, and so many. Gerard was like the complete midfielder, and then you got Lampard, whose goals to games ratio was brilliant, and came second in the Ballon d'Or one year. You know, like that in itself is an achievement. And then you've got Skulls, who technically mm. was brilliant. I don't think Skulls ever quite performed to the standard. That he did for Manchester United. No, so means- I mean, the same could be said for Gerard Lampard. I think. Yeah, yeah, true, true. So I think I, if I'm going to rule any one of those three out for England, I think I'm ruling Skulls out. I mean, mainly because you know they never fitted him in the team properly. But I think I am going to rule him out, and then I'm going to, um, yeah, I, I think that's just the thing with Declan. You know, I love Declan. Declan is my all-time yeah. favorite West Ham player. I, I don't need to go on about. I've known him since a kid. I still know his family. I love Declan to bits. But has he done enough to get in over the likes? He will do. And, you know, if you ask me this at the end of the World Cup, I've actually had a cheeky bet on him to be um, player of the tournament. It was 200 have to one. Yeah, 200 to one. 200 to one? Blimey. Yeah, I, put, I put 20 quid on it. I thought, you know, you never know. You're um, putting money on Enne Valencia. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, um, and, uh, and, and so... I just don't know if you can put Declan when you're thinking about all. I mean, all-time contributions to England since 1990. I do see your point. Well, how well, how much of a contribution has uh, Stephen Gerrard and Frank Lampard made in comparison? Then it's it's not just the tournaments; it's the qualifiers as well. Like Gerrard and Lampard did so much during those qualifiers; they were always scoring okay. and stuff. Um, Part of me just doesn't want to go against Declan because I love him so much. So I part just almost back down and let you have that one. I mean, um, to be honest, Dex, to be honest, it it does almost feel a bit strange for me to include Declan in this myself because if you're talking about England and all the overwhelming talent we've had since 1990, to some degree, Deck is almost still a little bit in his infancy with England. It feels anyway. Oh yeah, but, I mean, but at the same are... time, I'm thinking, well, why, sh- why shouldn't he be in there? He consistently performs. Um, he was outstanding in the Euros. He got to the final. None of these other players have. He got to the final, um, and he's now going to probably go and have a great World Cup as well. So I'm thinking, I can't see why he shouldn't be in there. The thing, the thing is, Stephen Gerrard, I just quickly looked it up there, Stephen Gerrard made 114 appearances from England from 2000 to 2014. And yes, Declan's made, I think, 34, has he, already? And he's only 23. And Frank Lampard has made um, <clears throat> 106 appearances for England. So, you know, you're talking proper icons of English football there. Um I, I, I don't think they played to the, the, the best of their ability. When I when I look back at Lampard and Gerrard's time for England, I, I feel a little bit disappointed because I don't oh, think yeah. I don't think they performed as they should have performed. Uh, they didn't perform as they did for their domestic side. So in my opinion, they could have had five hundred appearances for England. If you're not performing to the best of your ability during those appearances, what does the number matter? Yeah, yeah, that is a fair point. You're right. They, I mean, obviously that England team of that era was a massive. Down the golden generation. Yeah, um, yeah they've all underachieved because their egos stopped this country from winning trophies. They wouldn't sit with each other in the canteen. There was clicks. There was issues. There was tenseness. There was an atmosphere because of their own egos and their childish fucking ways. It stopped there being a camaraderie and a unity amongst the group that stopped us achieving great things. And and uh, as a backfall of that, because we weren't playing as a team, I don't think they was reaching their individual levels. So. 
I don't know. You look at this England. Yes, okay, we, we, we're coming into this tournament out of form, granted. But one thing I think you can say for the first time in a long time under Gareth Southgate is that we do have a group of players that get on and there is camaraderie and there is unity. And Declan, I think because of that, will go on to play his very best game in this group. Whereas I don't think you could have said that for Gerard and Lampard. Yeah, that's very true. Um, you could throw Paul Ince in there. Was another name, yeah, possibly. Yeah, another. possibly. West Ham connection, although obviously not a yeah. positive one. Um, I mean, you, yeah. you you would have great balance, you know, if you had Gazza as a number 10, two attacking wingers, and then Declan and Paul Ince as your defensive midfielders in that five. Yeah. That's a, that's a, it brings a good balance of play. Is Ince cool. the right man to, to be in that side? Is Declan. I mean, we haven't even decided that Declan's definitely going to go in now. I, I think I think you have to have Gerard personally. I think, and I'm looking at Gerard and Lampard's ratio actually, and uh, ratio like goals to games and stuff. And you you often think of Lampard being the one that um, you know got all the goals and stuff. But actually, Frank played 106 games and got 29 goals, and Gerard played. Um, eight more games and got eight less goals. So yes, there is a difference, but it's not a huge difference. Mm. So it's not like Frank got fifty goals and Jared got twenty. And then yeah. when you look at David Platt, I mean, I'd, I'm not, I don't think David Platt should be in it. But just to give a bit of perspective to it, um, where has he gone? I just saw him a minute ago. David Platt, there you go, sixty-two games, twenty-seven goals. So and, and actually, Alan Shearer played one more game than David Platt and only scored three more goals. Yeah, you think, you think Alan Shearer? You associate just being, you know, England's ultimate forward. Well, really, like Platt's goal scoring record's not that far off it. Um, <laughs> That's so interesting. He, yeah, yeah, he was a midfielder, but I, I think, well, if you want to argue for Declan, you know, I'm never going to argue against Declan. I think we could have that Frias, Declan, Gascoigne, and Gerrard, and then you've got a bit of everything. You got, you can tell Declan to sort of sit, sit deep. You can tell Gerrard to be a sort of box-to-box midfielder and you can tell Gaza to do all your creativity and get get goals and make things happen Uh, do you know what mate I I think honestly I still think you get that balance with Gerard in there because like you say he he was a box-to-box midfielder and he could put in the defensive shift as well as going forward and Declan in my opinion is the best defensive midfielder in the world so that's a great Great central pairing, in my opinion. Then I think you just tell Gazza to do whatever he wants to do. Just give him the ball and he'll do whatever he wants. He gets a free license as that number 10. And I'm really comfortable with that free, mate. I really am. What I'm struggling with a little bit is the wingers. Yeah. The right wing is a lot easier than left wing, which is the yeah, yeah, well, true. I mean, there's one name that comes to mind straight away. I don't know if we're thinking about yeah. the same person on the right. Who would you say? Well, it's got to be Beckham, I would it's say. It's got to be, but, isn't it? Um, yeah, I mean, the only contenders you've got for him, and I'm trying to remember what wing he played, and I'm pretty sure he did play on the right, but you've got Chris Waddle, who I thought was brilliant. Mm. Um, in 1990, I loved him. He was that classic winger that would just take people on and beat them for skill and stuff. And then you've got um, Steve McManaman, who people underplay, but he, you know, he played for Real Madrid. You know, he was part yeah. of the he scored a winning goal in the Champions League final for Real Madrid. So you know, Steve McManaman was a not probably talked about as much as he should be really in terms of his contributions. I don't remember him contributing to England that much, but certainly no. at club level he did. Um, and so yeah, you, they're they're the main people that I, I think. I mean, you could argue Joe Cole, but then I don't think he was consistent enough for England. Um, mm. So I think, so I think for me, 
I think it's a no-brainer that position. I think you have to go for David Beckham. I mean that 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 game against Greece. When you talk about you know oh. match winners, he just pretty much what ran that show, didn't he? And then yeah. obviously the '98 sending off wasn't great, but then in 2002 he scored that got the penalty against Argentina. 2006 he was he was solid. So I think yeah, I think you have to go for Beckham. Yeah, I mean, I said I was struggling with wingers. In my mind, I'm, I'm talking about the left because I do think the right picks itself. I mean, to this day, the best crosser of a football I've ever seen. Arguably the best crosser of a football in the history of the game, which I know is a bold statement, but tell me someone that was better. I mean, Beckham was just phenomenal when his set pieces were great and general passing was great as well. So I think he has to go on the right. But the left is a bit of an issue. If only Ryan Giggs would have picked England over Wales, yeah. we wouldn't have this problem, yeah. would we? But who do we go with on the left? Well, the, the three players I can think of, it, and, uh, the main the main one for me, the standout one for me, which is is my choice, is John Barnes. He definitely played yeah. on the left. Yes, he wasn't as yes. Good, he wasn't as good for England because I remember when I first started watching football, I remember around about the early 90s, I remember England fans used to boot him. They used to like say he's no, he's not trying for England. He's no way near as good as he was for Liverpool. So I remember he used to get a lot of stick for England. But actually, at his peak for Liverpool, when you think back, although it's pre nineteen ninety, but that goal he scored in Brazil was yeah, like, so so Brazilian esque. Um, and yeah. um, I think he's the candidate for me. I mean, you've got obviously again Joe Cole playing on the left a bit. You've got um, Trevor Sinclair, but I think you know, that would be a bit. He wouldn't match up with the names that we've got in in the side. Um, you've got you could play Ashley Cole as a left winger. I mean, I know that wasn't his traditional position, but you could. One player that I think we should give consideration to over John Barnes, and I think I could be persuaded to pick him pick ahead of John Barnes. And people might laugh at me for this one, but I think again his contributions have been massively underestimated over the years. Is um, Raheem Sterling. Uh, I'm just looking at him. I'm looking yeah. at him online as we speak to, to have go. a look at some of his stats because that came into my mind. Are we overlooking Raheem Sterling? Yeah, I, think I mean, we according, are. according to Wikipedia, he's played for England since 2012, 79 appearances, 19 goals. And he yeah. is actually he's actually a very good player, Raheem Sterling. Very good, very good. And also, I think the, la- the Euros, the last Euros, I think him and Declan were our best players. I mean, he did really well. And I think another World Cup, maybe it was 2018, possibly. I seem to remember thinking he was one of our best players there. I mean, I did see something interesting that Wayne Rooney came out with. Wayne Rooney was talking about how the England team was never performed to the ability they they should have when he was a player and he was saying that he would have played left wing he said he'd rather have played forward um because that was his natural position but if it meant that the england team would win he would play on the left wing but personally i don't think i want to do that i think that's a way so i i'm actually torn between john barnes and raheem sterling you know i think john if it was on club form but then that said raheem sterling's played for liverpool manchester city and chelsea and um, yeah. you know he's won, he's won um, the league with Man City. What four or five times? He's won the, you know, Champions League. Uh, I think has he? Uh, what do you I don't it? think he has. Is he? Is he? No, is he? Or not? not? I don't think possibly, he has. No. no, possibly not. No, possibly not. But um, he's certain. Uh, certainly, um, he's a runner-up. There you go, runner-up for Man City. Um, he's he's been voted Young Player of the. Um, he's got a Golden Boy Award in 2014. So, 
And technically, if you want to be really, really picky, oh no, I'll see, I'll take that back. I'll take that back. So both born in Kingston, Jamaica, I think. Um, I'm just thinking of the heat. Who was you going to say? I was going to say John Barnes was technically Jamaican and not um, not um, not right. English, but actually looking at both of their birthplaces, <laughs> Kingston, Jamaica. So so that ruins that right. argument. Um, okay, but I think I think oh yeah. I, so I think I'm going to change. I think I think I'm going to go with having the pace. I don't know because I feel a bit unbalanced with Beckham and Raheem Sterling on each wing because Beckham wasn't pacey. Beckham was good with the ball at his feet, but he wasn't. Yeah. He wasn't. He wasn't someone that beat people. He didn't take people on. He just put good crosses. It was great with the ball. And, and then you could say the same with John Barnes. John Barnes was really good on the ball. I'm not sure how pacey he was. I don't really remember him being pacey, but he was certainly great on the ball. Whereas Raheem Sterling's really pacey, so is it a bit unbalanced having Beckham and Raheem Sterling? But then that said, you need people to be able to get up and down that flank and track back because we haven't got any fullbacks. So I think Raheem Sterling is more likely to do that than John Barnes, and David Beckham would do it as well. So I actually think I'm going to go with Raheem Sterling. I'm going to change, yeah. change my mind. See, in my mind, I want to challenge that because there's something in my brain that tells me it's not right to have Raheem Sterling in this side. But then at the same time, certainly since 1990, we have always struggled for a left winger, England. We've never had a mainstay, really, have we, that that would just instantly come to your mind uh, as to who should be on the left when we play a game like this. There isn't a David Beckham on the right wing, for example, that, that can play on the left. No. But, but I mean, is Raheem uh, Sterling more right right winger? He sort of alternates, doesn't he? I, I I think, well, in my mind, I think he plays on the left and cuts in on his right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm just sort of, yeah, no. I mean, it says here on his profile, which was what we could go, uh, he's a left winger, but it does say he can play on the right as well. So let's put him as a left winger because we've got a right winger and it's saying left winger on a number of sites here. So yeah, it is between Barnes and Sterling, definitely. Okay. And then again, you know, you've got the fact that Raheem Sterling has massively contributed to taking his country to a final of a major tournament, whereas again, yeah. the others haven't. And John Barnes, a bit like Paul Scholes, I think, never quite did it for England, whereas I think Raheem Sterling has performed for England. Yeah. Yeah, let's go with let's go with Sterling because at the end of the day, we we we're not blessed with overwhelming options, are we? No. So let's go with Sterling because and I think the ability yeah. to track back is important as well. But like I said, with no fallbacks, I just think Raheem Sterling, from memory of what John Barnes was like, and what John Barnes is more of a Gascoigne, like a luxury player, get on the ball, take people on. Whereas Sterling works hard, and I think yeah. we need that because we've got no fallbacks. But can Raheem rap? I don't know. I don't, I don't know because that is another factor. We do have to release our England World Cup song. And, 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 what, and what more do you want than John Barnes? Yeah, yeah that is well, a factor. Well, exactly. You know, in that scenario, you want John Barnes, don't you? Does um, <laughs> so. the crowd go bananas? <laughs> the, wor- the, wor- the, wor- the worst rhyme ever. <laughs> it literally doesn't rhyme. It's brilliant, isn't it? Oh my god! Um, right, okay. In the interest of time and people switching off, <laughs> let's yeah, yeah. go. Let's go with Raheem. Um, and 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 by doing so, we challenge the patrons to give us a better alternative. So that I think completes our midfield five. 
Um, and I'll, I'll I'll go over the all of the selections um, at the end. But it does leave two forwards now. Now, is this easy or is this hard? I think there's less options, but I think it's hard to choose between the options would be what I'd say. So 1990 had Gary Lineker. Obviously, that was the only tournament he played, um, apart from 1992, where he was subbed off in that game where he was going to break the record. So you got Gary Lineker as your finisher, and then you go a bit further on, and you've got Shearer and Sheringham. And then, you, then Michael Owen breaks onto the scene, so you got him. And then you've got, obviously, Wayne Rooney for most of the 2000s. And then um, you, you look now, and you've got Harry Kane as the obvious option. Teddy Sheringham, I guess you could throw in there as well. Piece of Beardsley was a good forward, but I don't think he would he would make the cut. And then you go to the sort of late 90s, where you had the sort of likes of, although they didn't quite do it for England as much, but you know Robbie Fowler, Ian Wright, Les Ferdinand. Um, so there's a lot of options, but the, the four options for me really is between Rooney, Owen, um, Shearer and Kane. That's the four that I think it's between. Well, I, I think by default, Wayne Rooney has to be in there. He has to be one of the two because he is this country's all-time leading goal scorer. So it'd be mental not to include him in that. I mean, yeah. assuming these stats are right, he's 53 goals in 120 games. I mean, that's yeah. unbelievable. Um, annoyingly, Harry Kane is just two goals behind him. So at the, at the end of this tournament, he probably will be England's leading all-time goal scorer. So if I'm talking about by default, Rooney should be in there. By default, Harry Kane should probably be in there as well. I'm finding it really difficult to have that fucking pleb anywhere near this side to be honest, <laughs> for political reasons. See, it's, it's interesting, you know, because instantly my first thought was Alan Shearer because I loved him for England. I loved yeah. him generally, a Premier League icon, loved him. Yeah. But actually, I was quite surprised to see, and again, I'm assuming these stats are right, that he played 63 games and scored 30 goals. So the ratio, again, is very good. But he, he played 63 games for England. Wayne Rooney played 120. Wayne Rooney played double the amount of games Alan Shearer did. Yeah. I can't help but think that's a mistake, you know. Surely he played more than that, didn't he? Shearer. Well, the thing with Shearer, Shearer, A, was injured quite a lot, and B, he retired really early, didn't he? He retired after the, was it the 2,000 Euros, was it that? Yeah, So and then he would have only been pff, late 20s, I think, was it, when he retired? Like, I, I know he retired early, because there was always that talk about bringing him out of international retirement, wasn't there? So let's have a look, he was born in 1970, and he last played for England in 2000. Yeah, so he stopped playing for England at 30. So he missed out on a couple of years there and he was injured for, like, I seem to remember he had a whole season where he was injured for large parts of it. Um, so I think that's probably why. And in terms of contributions, Euro 96, Shearer was brilliant. Yeah. But World, but World Cups 98, I don't, I remember that being more about Michael Owen and David Beckham. Yeah. That one. Um, and then obviously by 2002 he had, uh, so I'm actually going to rule Shearer out. If I was to do a Premier League 11, Shearer yeah. Henry, well, every yeah. time Shearer Henry, but mm. when I think about England 11 and their contributions since 1990, I think it is between Harry Kane, Michael Owen and Wayne Rooney, and I think you're right, you can't go past England's all-time goal scorer, although how many of those were against San Marino and Faroe Islands and stuff, that'd be an interesting stat to look at. When you look at goals to game ratio, actually, Owen and um, Kane have a better record. 
because mm. Harry Kane, you know, as you mentioned him there, trying to, well, Michael Owens here. Michael Owens scored 40 goals in 89 appearances, so that's pretty much one every two, whereas Rooney's was a little bit below that. And then Harry Kane, where's he in this? Uh, oh, Harry Kane. Kane is phenomenal, isn't it? 51 yeah, goals in 75 games. I mean, at international is. level, that's unreal, to be fair. It is, um, and so, but I just loved Michael Owen so much. So I find it hard not to put Michael Owen in. I yeah, really I mean, it was. Do. I think it was iconic. His breakthrough on, on the World Cup, when it, that goal against Argentina, was one of those moments you'll never ever forget. And moments like that are ingrained in your brain. But you know, again, listen, I'm the last person that would want to make a case for Harry Kane. If we're going to play this game properly, he should be up there with Rooney. I think he should yeah. be. If if we're going to suddenly realised that we're on a West Ham podcast and we all hate Tottenham and therefore hate Harry Kane. We leave him out. But he mm-hmm. should be in there, really. I mean, he, yeah. I, know, I know we're saying from 1990 onwards, if we want to relax the rules a little bit, there's a player here that was born in 1879 <laughs> and he scored 44 goals in 32 games for England. And his name yeah. is Vivian Woodward. Fuck me, that's incredible. <laughs> I'm just looking at some of these. I mean, fuck me. Steve Bloomer, born in 1874, 28 goals in 23 games. I mean, did the other team not turn up or something? <laughs> yeah. I mean, even Nat, Nat Lofthouse. I mean, we all know that name. 30 goals in 33 games. I mean, there were some proper goal scorers in our history. Jimmy Greaves. Wow. 44 goals in 57 games. Obviously, I'm 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 completely going off the beaten track now, but just um, yeah, paying homage to some of these goal scoring records. But, you know, in terms of this game, okay, we both agree on Rooney. Is that fair to say? I think so. I think so. Yeah. And, and then what are we doing, mate? About this? Um, uh, I, this think part we, I think we. I think we have to go with Harry Kane, aren't we? My my heart. My heart wants it to be Owen because, as I said, with Gaza, I think Gaza, Beckham, and Owen are my three favourite players. And don't forget, Owen won um, Ballon d'Or. Um. <laughs> so you know, I think he did, mm. didn't he? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he did win the Ballon d'Or. Let me just double check that to make sure. Um. Because I don't want to sound like an idiot. Um, my um, battle, which I'll probably have quite a lot through this, but uh, uh, 2001 Ballon d'Or. Yeah, wins awarded to Michael Owen. So he actually won the Ballon d'Or. So he's the world's best player. Mm. So my heart wants to go with Owen, but my brain says you can't look beyond Harry Kane's record. I mean, if if we just for a second pretended that Harry Kane played for Aston Villa, right? He's scored 51 goals in 75 appearances. On the back of this tournament, he will come home, England's all-time leading goal scorer. He's also the captain of this England side, which, you know, has to carry some merit. Um, uh, And, yeah. um, Penalty taker. The penalty taker. You need in tournaments. Yeah. um, It's it's got to be him. I hate it. I hate the fact it's got to be him. And he and he's got this side to a final. He was, you know, we made that case for Raheem Sterling uh, and Declan Rice. He was also the captain of a side that reached a final when none of these other players we're talking about did get to a final. It's got to be Harry Kane. I hate it. I hate it. It's got to be. You know, it'd be childish of us not to include him. Really, it's got to be him. It's got to be Rooney up front. Unfortunately. Yeah, um, exactly. I think oh, the subspence should be good. The subs, I mean, obviously, we've got time for this now, but the subspence, you'd have Owen on it. You'd have, you'd have like Lampard, yeah. you'd have Chris Waddle, we'd have Sol Campbell, probably, you know, Gary Neville. There'd be a good subspence, but uh, yeah, yeah, I think, I think it's just, yeah, I know, I mean, coming on as a sub 
is a great one. What about manager? Have we got time for a manager? I was just about to ask you the same question. Um, well, I, I, I instantly go to Bobby Robson for emotional yeah. reasons. I, yeah. I loved him as a man. What what a man. And everyone always speaks so highly of him. Great yeah. man, manager, great character, great tactician, very highly respected. And even though, you know, we didn't get past the semi-final in Italian 90, what a memorable tournament that was. Quite iconic, really, considering we didn't get to the final or win it. It's such an iconic tournament for so many different reasons. And he was the figurehead of that England side. But then, you know, not far off that, you could say Terry Venables, Euro 96, um, for mm. similar reasons, really. Mm. Um I think they would be the two standouts for me over anyone else. Southgate's the only one to take us to a final. Again, you know, I'd be contradicting my own argument, wouldn't I, if I didn't include him in the conversation because unlike those two managers just mentioned, he took us to a final. Mm. (laughs) So I I, I think if... Yeah, I think think I'm going to go with Bobby Robson and I think the reason is because at the time when I look at that 1990 squad... I don't think it had the the Premier League wasn't the standard that the Premier League is now. So England's players then weren't like as well like established as England's players are now. You know, you look at yeah Gary Lineker obviously played for Barcelona, so you could say him maybe Des Walker went on to play like they all went on to go to other leagues, but they sort of went on to that after that nineteen ninety World Cup. Every manager and player speaks so highly of Bonnie Robson that I think he would be able, he's so respected that he would be mm. able to manage them best out of everyone. So I think I'm going to go with him, yeah. Okay, right. I'm going to agree with you on that. So we're going to go with Bobby Robson as the gaffer. And he is the gaffer of a side that plays 3-5-2 with David Seaman in goal, a back three of Rio Ferdinand, John Terry and Des Walker, a central pairing, of Declan Rice and Steven Gerrard, David Beckham on the right wing, Raheem Sterling on the left wing, Gaza as a number 10, with a strike pairing of Wayne Rooney and Harry Kane. Um, as always, if you're listening to this show, we challenge you to better that and, and give us your um, starting 11, your best ever England 11 from 1990. Um and I think X, what we do is we'll put this team up on Patreon so people can reply underneath on the thread uh, and let us know what their their team would be. You might even have a different formation to what we've used. You might uh, want to include some fullbacks. So let us know. But that was um, that was good fun, X. And uh, to be yeah. fair, even though people might argue certain um, decisions, I look at that and I do think that's one hell of a team. So well, I think, you'd like, right. I think it would win. It would win the World Cup if it was. Like, I think so. I think so. Yeah, yeah I what, think so. what'd be interesting as well to do maybe one time is a a world eleven from nineteen ninety onwards, not not involved yeah. in players. Yeah, that would be quality. So like, actually, you know, like Roberto Carlos, Cafu, yeah, Baggio, players like that. Yeah, Zidane, and oh god, yeah, that would be good yeah. actually. Yeah. Okay, yeah. good stuff. Right, let's take it back to West Ham and uh, see what X has to say this week. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. 
And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver-assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.